Welcome to episode 398 with my guest, Caitlin. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. Uh, the show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Uh, the website for this show is mentalpod. Uh, dot com and mental pod or mental pod is also the handle you can follow me out on twitter and uh instagram uh this is the third installment of the episodes i recorded recently in uh, ireland this one was recorded in dublin and um the episode that was recorded last week with Michael Kaur, I forgot to do a shout-out for a project that he is doing that some of you guys might want to participate in. And I'll just read what, what he wrote, because I, I think it's a great idea. Uh, he wrote, I want to make a collection of draft emails. A few years ago, I mistakenly thought that I had sent all the drafts in my drafts folder. When I had recovered from the fear of this and realized that I had not done it, I began to wonder about the imperfect potential held in that drafts folder. The word draft is derived derived from the word imperfect, and for the collection to be meaningful, I need people to dig into their drafts folder and draw out the ones that are vulnerable, exposing and honest in their imperfection, the ones that they never sent for whatever reason. People who send them to me need to trust me with them, which is asking a lot from someone who they have never met. But as a collection, I think that they could say something important about us and what it means to be human and imperfect. I want to share that book, uh, share that in a book and an exhibition. And people can send them to uh, Michael at the following email address, 100drafts at gmail.com. Because he wants it to be, obviously, he wants to collect 100 of these. Um, so it's uh, 100, the numbers, 100drafts at gmail.com. And I'll, I'll post that on the website as well. I can't wait to uh, to see some of those. Um, this is a happy moment filled out by a guy who calls himself, this gin tastes like your mom's toes. I don't even, I don't even want more details. You had me at gin. Uh, I just crossed off the third and final task on today's to-do list. There wasn't anything particularly difficult on the list, but there wasn't anything really fun on it either. Just tasks that a normal adult would do on any given day and not make a big thing about it. But I feel that because of my history of severe procrastination, sharing this might help make my next to-do list more achievable too. I fucking love that because this to me is a great example of what forward momentum looks like. It's baby steps. It's like, you know, we we don't pull ourselves out of some pit of not wanting to live and suddenly we read a book and we're having sushi with the Dalai Lama the next week. He's a big fan of sushi. Why did I pick that? of all the things. could play bocce ball with the Dalai Lama. I actually kind of like the idea of the Dalai Lama in a pool playing chicken with people. And he would have to be on top because you don't get on the Dalai Lama's shoulders. 
And he, and he can punch. A lot of people don't know that about him. Oh, ferocious. Yeah. <laughs> but I love this, this email because those are the little victories that help build our self-esteem. This, you know, I've mentioned before that uh, BetterHelp is a sponsor of this show and a really important sponsor. And this is an email that I got from somebody that has something to do with BetterHelp. And I wanted to read it um, because I think it's a great uh, example of the way that therapy can can help us. And it's uh, an awful moment filled out by a guy who calls himself Turrible Husband 1012. Uh, and he writes, a few months ago, my wife confronted me, letting me know she felt unwanted, lacking attention, and that she generally felt no love from me or for me. Over the next weeks, I worked to get into individual therapy with better help thanks to the podcast. Uh, I've been helped to realize my mind lives too much in the past and future and not in the present. I have not stayed in the moment enough to cherish, appreciate, and truly love my wife. These realizations were crushing to my ego and perception of my own reality. My heart dropped, but I've been able to understand myself more deeply. Using this newfound understanding, I tried to change for the better in day-to-day life. Make my wife feel love through words, actions, and thoughtfulness. Over these two or so months, I have near... I have nearly constantly fought anxiety, helplessness, and depression from the fear or loss and waiting too long for my mental health. Some of my meditation and mindfulness practices have got me more in the moment to the point of realizing my wife started saying, I love you again, and inviting me to be with her. The anxiety, fear, and depressed thoughts still persist, but this potential tragedy has given me the push I needed to be a better person, deal with my mental health, and in the end, give me the drive to succeed in relearning how to love. That's so beautiful. If you've never tried BetterHelp and you're interested, go to betterhelp.com slash mental. Make sure you include the slash mental part uh, so they'll know you came from the podcast. And fill out a questionnaire. They'll match you up with the betterhelp.com counselor and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is right for you and you need to be over 18. Uh, and then finally, this is an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself the prodigal sunshine. And she writes, at my 10-year high school reunion, I ran into one of my former teachers who, in my day, had been the most feared and respected teacher on the entire faculty at my school. She had demanded so much of us. The workload for her class was unbelievable, and I spent many a night nursing panic attacks over the seemingly insurmountable load of studying she expected from us. She was also super critical of kids who dated or socialized too much. School is for studying, she'd yell. She was determined to send us all to the best colleges and thoroughly prepare us for the experience. She used to scare the shit out of me. At the reunion, I was excited to tell her about my post-high school academic and career successes, to show her that I've done everything she'd ever dreamed for her students. Her response? She said, those accomplishments are impressive, but at some point, you'll need to find a husband. There's a part of me inside that I don't want anyone to know about because it's weird and gross and lame and people will hate me. 
It was so hard to be on the planet. Just doom, people pleasing, dread, silent, invisible, just wailing, stuck in the grip of the obsession, derealization, depersonalization, a suicidal ideation. I was so embarrassed and so full of shame. If I don't get help and get what I need to get, you know, I did some horrible, horrible things. Then I'm not going to be here much longer. God, I wish I could go back and undo them, but I can't. So snipers would shoot in our sides. My father was a notorious pimp in Boston. I can't do this anymore. It was kind of like Scarface. You can change somebody's life just by listening. Through vulnerability, uh, comes healing. It felt like I'd been holding a sword and shield, and I dropped them. And to this day, I have never had a better night's sleep. I started crying in a job interview saying, <laughs> and I was like, LA is hard, man. LA is so hard. And I, I didn't get that job. <laughs> 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 I'm here with Caitlin, and we're using a pseudonym. Uh, we're here in Dublin at her uh, her apartment, and um, we were going to try to record at my hotel room. And I think halftime at the Super Bowl might have been more quiet than <laughs> the place that I'm staying. A tip for anybody traveling: really read the reviews of the hotel you make a reservation at, and uh, sometimes the people that like it just might be people that drink beer or on hen parties <laughs> and what or on hen parties what's a hen party uh, like a stag but for women oh Dude, we um, call them sorry bachelorette, bachelorette party yeah party. sorry yeah yeah, yeah. being over here i never know if i'm hard of hearing or it's a phrase i'm not familiar with and i'm always kind of afraid of looking stupid either way it's probably a phrase. We tend to say things a little bit differently over yes. here, so apologies for that. So we got in contact with each other um, a couple of months ago, and it's, it's quite a lot in your history. A suicide attempt, psychosis, um, physical yeah. and mental abuse as a kid. Yeah. What other fun am I leaving out? Uh, neck injury... Uh, What's the coordination thing where you... the? Uh, oh, yeah, where I see things in mirror image. So yes. I have an issue with, uh, well, cycling, which my boyfriend is still trying to teach me how to do. It's not working. Um, right, riding a bicycle? Yeah, So because the hand-eye coordination there, or like my legs will just decide to go backwards or they just won't actually function in the correct way. It takes a lot of thinking. Really? But when I overthink, then it goes horribly wrong. So, like, I've I've already got scars on my ankles from, like, trying to do it, and I've chipped that ankle trying to do it, so not going so well. But a cool part of it was when I was a kid, I used to be able to write from uh, right to left. That's the... Yeah, right to left and upside down. Um, but that also came with the downfall of finding it really difficult to spell unless things were upside down. And what is it called? It doesn't actually have a name. Uh, we're naming it dyspraxia and dyslexia combined. So dyspraxia is because I have the physical movement issues with it. So like I, spatial awareness is a problem. Then, as I said, the uh, coordination hmm. is an issue. But uh, I don't think we actually have a proper name for it. So when you were a kid, and I'm not being facetious, but were, were, when you were a kid, were you just labeled as clumsy and dumb? Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, I had, you know, I had to get flashcards to take home. 
um, during the summer. I didn't go out a lot when I was a kid because my mum um, would teach me English and how to spell and all of that. Um, so yeah, I was kind of just seen as uh, stupid um, and unable to learn. Um, but I guess I just learned in a different way. So kind of learned that as I got older, but obviously the stigma of that kind of stuck around. <laughs> Um, kind of left me with a little bit of low self-esteem, I'd say. Give me, give me uh, some seminal moments from childhood or adolescence, if you can, if you can think any that kind of paint a picture. Um, well, those ones were basically I, I either was playing computer games or I was being uh, shouted at by my mother while she was trying to teach me things, but I couldn't understand them um, until she found out that I could read things upside down and then it was a completely different story um how so in that she was like oh this is the problem and it it wasn't so much that i wasn't intelligent it was that i had to be taught in a different way so she took extra time that said my mother didn't have a very good uh sense of patience and i don't either i take that from her um so uh, she would get very very angry um, so that like a lot of our childhood was my mother being quite angry and my father when he was home because he would work at the standard nine to five, but he'd leave at seven. So he'd be gone before we'd go to school and then we'd only be awake for an hour when he was home. But generally he'd be quite angry as well. Um, so uh, go ahead and finish your thought. Oh, okay, so that was, that's one of the kind mm-hmm. of memories. Um, and then would there be, uh, in what way would they express their anger or lack of uh, patience? Uh, so my mother, uh, she would do a lot of screaming. We also got hit with the wooden spoon. Um, if you put your hands in the way, that was the worst because then you got it in the wrists. Um, she'd chase you around with the wooden spoon. One time she got so angry that she broke the toilet seat. She just went into the bathroom and just smashed the toilet seat with her fists. Another time she broke a hairbrush across the back of a chair that my sister was sitting on. Wow. Um, one time when I she found out that I wasn't eating my lunch because I didn't like my lunch um, and I was a very skinny kid, uh, she refused to feed me and didn't talk to me. And so my sisters had to, uh, well, one of my sisters got me uh, sweets because we were quite young. I think I was about six. <laughs> so my sister would get me sweets um, before school and that was my lunch. Um, and then I'd bargain with other kids, like, you can use my ruler if I can have some of your sandwich or something. Um, so that went on for about a week, but then that was fixed. Um, my dad was more shouting and threatening. Um, he did threaten me with a belt once because I bent a umbrella. We had like a really nice umbrella with those long metal bits at the top, and I got it caught in a grate, and I bent it, and he threatened to hit me with the belt, but he didn't. Thank God, I just got sent to my room. Um, And then just the general shouting, like it would start from you didn't wipe down a surface well enough. So you would get screamed at to the point where, you know, it would devolve into everything you've ever done is wrong. Everything like you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't exist. Like it's you're the worst person that could ever exist. And this would literally be from wiping a surface down incorrectly. What what do you think was going on with... uh your parents I know my mum uh, my mum had a pretty difficult childhood um, she dealt with quite a lot in her childhood and also she was having uh, what we now 
believe um, was hormone issues Mm -hmm. and also like some like depression I'd say as well Um, quite a lot of depression actually because she gave up her job for six years to mind us but she never wanted kids and that was something she reminded us of quite often so um, was that the Christmas present? yeah (laughs) who needs coal when you've got unwanted uh, (laughs) chats but yeah I got once when I came in she was like you were a mistake wait not a mistake an accident Um, because that's slightly less bad um but yeah uh then my dad just had a very kind of like irish childhood it's the only way i can describe it like in of like the 50s so you know he was the youngest male of uh, four kids and you know seen and not heard uh you know, emotions aren't a thing, so mm-hmm. you cry, you get screamed at. Uh, so like, like Dick, Dickens with crew cuts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and a lot of cigarettes. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, they both had a rough time. And so I suppose when we came along and money was tight when we were young, um, yeah, it was just stressful, really stressful. Have uh, any of them gained any ground in dealing with their issues or gaining tools to cope with their anger or no like me and my sister my eldest sister because I'm, I'm one of three um have talked about maybe saying to my mother or my father maybe you should go and try some counseling because both of us have done it and my middle sister as well um and just the thought of even saying that to them is no like there's so you know they don't have a problem they I don't think they if think you would just act right I wouldn't be angry exactly yeah everything is somebody else's that's that problem. seems to be like the biggest pothole that any kind of ground being gained in a relationship falls into is just somebody saying I'm fine yeah I'm fine exactly it's, you're the problem and and there's really no way of moving them from that other than um, cutting contact, setting boundaries, limiting contact. Um, but it seems like trying to change them will often backfire because then it'll be like, well, now I'm never going to therapy because then I'm doing what, you know, my kid, my dumb, clumsy kid wants me to do. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, you can learn at every age. And I think if you've been going... If you find yourself in a certain point where you haven't continued to learn, then something's wrong. You should always be learning. And definitely when I think people are recognizing that with like mental health uh, problems, that everybody's got something and everybody needs to sort something out. Um, Yeah. And especially like especially parents. I'm just seeing it with people that I know that have kids like you just even if you didn't have a problem before or it's it was a small problem it's going to be automatically like put in a magnifying glass and made a hundred times bigger because you're seeing it being reflected at you all the time so i really think people need to it should be a a thing that we're taught in school it really there's almost no emotional education uh growing up but from what i understand there are a few schools uh now in the states where that is beginning to change and and they're beginning to to teach kids uh emotional 
recognition and uh, coping skills, which is really encouraging. Would they be private schools or? I don't know. I think one of them was a uh, public was a public school, um, but that that's encouraging to to know that. Uh, Somebody somewhere. Trying. Yeah, someone's trying because it's not about you were wrong. It's just like, do you want to have some more peace in your life? I mean, exactly. isn't that why we work and have relationships and all that other stuff is to just feel good to, yeah. to be able to relax. The other thing I wanted to, to comment on, too, is, you you know, you talked about your mother having depression. And a lot of people don't understand that anger also, almost well, not almost always, but often goes with depression. I used to think that depression could only be expressed as sadness yeah or inertia so many different levels like there's so many different parts to being depressed like my mother obviously was quite angry when she was depressed for a certain point when uh, during my depression i was quite angry but now i'm like completely numb i just don't have emotions anymore so it is it's a very strange thing that needs to be more understood it's not just oh i'm sad at all. In fact, that's the smallest part of it, the sadness. Yeah. Uh, do you find it... Do you, do you believe that your coping mechanism was to begin to uh, numb yourself so, that you, so you wouldn't feel anything? When I was a kid, if I like hurt myself or if something, you know, I was upset in any way, it didn't matter what kind of upsetness, whether it was physical pain or whatever, um, I would cry, but I would also get shouted at to not cry. Um, and that would include like if I just came in and I was crying and I needed help with something, it was like, stop crying and then tell me what the problem is. So I think it was just always something that I did. I, I even find it now, if I get into a point where I'm going to cry, I hold my breath and just push it all down. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been bottling things up for years and I recognize that I've been bottling things up because I'll always have an explosion of emotions at some point. Do you have a special tiny room in your stomach where you pack it all down? I think so. It's like a slight bulge to the left. Yes. I, there's no amount of working out yes. that can really get rid of that sad sadness. <laughs> it It is mind-blowing to feel emotions once we begin to unnumb ourselves. I I never knew what I was feeling until I began to feel something new and I would think, oh, so this is what joy feels like yeah. or this is what safety uh, feels like. You know, not that my home wasn't 100% un unsafe, but they're, you know, getting back to therapy, they're are breakthroughs often in therapy or support groups where you can experience an emotion that you always thought was off the table for you or that you felt just a minor version of it or or that something that didn't exist that wasn't for you yeah like don't get me wrong my childhood wasn't bad like i that my parents gave me everything in the monetary sense that they could have and everything emotionally that they could even though they didn't have much to give but yes what you were saying i've lost it now uh about experiencing an emotion that you never had before yeah, you don't I, realize it exists until you until you feel sometimes you don't realize how fucked up something was until you feel the opposite of it yeah often at a late age as a result of therapy or support groups yeah like i've done support groups and i've done therapy and there has been some moments of emotion 
but I don't do small emotions. I only do big. Not a girl. <laughs> go ho- go what go hard or go home. Yes. Do you um, do you go upstairs and change into something? <laughs> my sportswear. Flowing something <sighs> flowing with a, a maybe <laughs> some headwear. Yeah. No. I I just like I tend to. If I'm angry, like I'm very rarely angry and very rarely happy, um, very rarely anything. So if you see me angry, it's leave the room. Mm-hmm. and But more than likely, I will leave the room because I don't like to be angry around other people mm-hmm. and I don't like to hurt people because I will. F- physically been, or, or verbally? Uh there's been twice where I have uh, verbally destroyed someone and the other time physically uh, hurt somebody can that you, I didn't want to. Can you describe those events to us? Yeah, so one, uh, a lot of alcohol had been taken. Uh, my friend disappeared. Um, I was really worried about her. You you had drunk a lot of alcohol? Yeah, I had okay. had a lot of alcohol. Uh, we all had. It was a okay. college party. And she disappeared and I couldn't find her. And I was so panicking about not being able to find her. Like I was with like all of our friends, but I thought something had happened to her because I'd seen her crying earlier in the night. And then when she turned up, I just lost it. My worriedness turned into just pure rage and I just pushed her and she hit off a table and fell down and was quite injured. Um, And then we just never were friends again after that, even though she was my best friend so that's the alcohol not quite working for me again um did, and then did you uh, say anything to her afterwards yeah like i tried to get back and said that like i was so sorry and everything and she was like you don't treat someone like that so i was like okay yeah that's fair enough and she was like you can't see that you have a problem you have a problem and at that time i couldn't see that i had a problem but but um, now you do believe that you have oh, a yeah. problem with alcohol I, yeah okay. oh yeah 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 okay. you've been sober for a little bit uh, currently sixteen days. Good for you. Yeah, I broke. I had thirteen days and then I broke it, but uh, that was because of a work party. I shouldn't have done that either. Um, and then yeah. w- what were some of the other uh, incidents? Uh, so the other one was me and my sister that lives in America don't get on that well, um, and it's something that I've tried to distance myself. I think it's better for both of us that we're we don't talk that often. Um, and she was over for my other sister's hen party and she said something to me which I can't 100% remember what it was but it was basically insulting um, an experience that I'd had from what I remember from when I'd lived in London um, basically saying like that that was nothing and what was I and with the alcohol again um, and just anger took over and I basically just turned around and I don't even remember what came out of my mouth but she just broke down for the whole night she was just crying and tried to punch me at one point um i had to take care of her she then vomited all in the taxi that we were in i paid for that and then she just wouldn't talk to me and i can't 100 percent remember but isn't that every bachelorette party (laughs) yeah i suppose so (laughs) but uh i must have like this girl does not cry yes no of course i'm I'm being the stupid um <laughs> let's talk let's talk about the suicide attempt and what led up to that unless you feel like there's something more organic to touch on before we we get to that uh no like so i had been I've, i suppose the progression of being depressed for me i had been depressed i'd say from 12 and i told my mom there's something not right with me and she said oh it's just hormones 
Um, and then when I was 19, I went to the doctor and said, look, I'm, I'm obviously depressed. Um, I just had the sadness part of that. I had been bottling things up for a while because I had dealt with other family stuff. Um, and he put me on the pill, like the, you know, the birth control, birth control pill. pill. Yeah. And so to even out my hormones mm-hmm. didn't work. Um, in fact, it made me crazier and I got into a lot of like self-harming behavior um are you comfortable being more specific yeah so i would uh self-harm uh sorry cut myself mm-hmm. uh usually on my legs because that was you know i didn't need anybody to see it it was for sure. my own kind of thing um it would make me feel better it would be like a release of all the tension that i was mm-hmm. obviously holding inside that little bubble of sad sadness mm-hmm. in my left um so and would you fantasize about it and and tell yourself I, I shouldn't do that I don't want to do that uh and then no, a I never said, I never thought so that the, I wouldn't do it I just I I was like well it's not hurting anybody else okay nobody can see it I don't generally show off my legs anyway like it, this mm-hmm. is something that I'm doing to stay alive at the moment um okay. because I was fantasizing a lot about killing myself like a lot like pretty much all the time and um, I did at one point when my parents weren't in the house and it was summer holidays from college sit in front of a uh, box of pills that my mother had had when she was ill and laid them all out and then the phone rang and I think it was my grandmother or something and I just didn't do it then so I was like okay so that was a while so that was that that instance happened when I was about 15 so then 19 star college get really depressed uh, i don't know what's going on i've like lost it completely i had injured my neck at that point so i was also addicted to painkillers um and i was just that probably didn't help with the old mental stability at all <laughs> you think um, <laughs> so what had happened to your neck uh, i was doing yoga and i was doing a shoulder stand and i fell from a shoulder stand and uh gave myself whiplash but I didn't get it treated for two years. Mm. And then by the time I did, I had atrophied muscle and nerve damage. And there was a whole load of other issues. So I had like physio for five years after that. And I was chronic pain. So I'm still out. Um, but yeah, then, so quite depressed. Uh, 20, neck pain, college. Neck pain, college, uh, relationships not working, having issues with my family general life stuff that obviously I just couldn't deal with because I just wasn't emotionally there. Um, I did go to a counsellor at that point. I talked through some of my family stuff with her. It didn't really work. Um, How was the health care in in seeking it uh, in this country? Was it... uh, I didn't want anybody to know what was going on and it was just a... uh, It was just a college counsellor but then she did defer me onto a... Um, mental health uh, facility Mm -hmm. who then without me even knowing they started giving me a tour around the place and they were like sign here and I was like what am I signing to and they're like you're going to stay here for a while and I was like no I'm not and I left Um, so I don't think the um, mental health services here are great Um, I've been to let's see three counsellors one was kind of okay Oh, and a psychiatrist as well, but he cost 120 euro per visit that I was going to, and he was trying to do CBT with me, and it just, it just felt like a waste of my money, and that he wasn't interested, and I was just like, yeah, no, I'm just going to not do this anymore, and I went to a different counsellor after that. 
But yeah. So. And, was, and was that next counselor any good? Yeah, he was okay. And then I lost my job. That was more recently. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I went to that psychiatrist because of the attempt on my life. Right. So what happened with that was I had been depressed for about four years straight. I just did not see any coming out of it. It, it was... And I was losing jobs. I was losing friends. I couldn't do anything. Um, I had finally gone, okay, I'm going to go on antidepressants. I went on... We can't... We don't name them. No, no, you can uh, I went on sertraline, which I think is like Zoloft. Okay. Um, I, I had tried Lexapro before that, but I was having trouble sleeping on it. Um, so I did that... And I was really hoping that your pills uh, had Gaelic names. <laughs> Unfortunately, no. We all have the same American manufacturing companies. But I we went don't on, have them advertised. I went on to Hagamaha. Great <laughs> 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 market. Um, no, so I, uh, I, I tried that. And then with my lovely history of uh, substance abuse, I decided to self-medicate because the dosage he gave me wasn't enough, I felt. So I brought myself up from 20 milligrams to 100 milligrams, but wasn't quite taking them the way I should because I was just like, meh, whatever, just like pop one like a smarty or something. Um, so I was doing that and then I was drinking an awful lot of alcohol, like a lot, um, by myself with other people um, with my family just lots like every day um then we went to america to visit my sister and i really liked it there i really really enjoyed it in seattle and then washington state in general mm -hmm. and we went to stay in uh washington state forest and we stayed in this amazing wooden cabin and i like i my family went off like i was very much by myself um, like I, because I isolated myself, I told my family I just wanted to sleep for this because I was in a really hard job. I was waking up in the middle of the night anyway to check my emails from Ireland to make sure that everything was okay with the film that I was working on. Um, and yeah, I was just really burnt out and we were drinking every night. And so we were in this amazing cabin. My family had gone out and I had just spent the day on this chair looking out onto this amazing river seeing these little baby otters playing mm. and like ducks and everything and just the most amazing scenery ever these amazing mountains just like it was paradise to me and I was just sitting on this chair and for about 10 hours I just stayed on that chair um, and then I was listening to this artist called Daughter, but then I was also listening to loads of Sword and Scale, uh, the podcast, which is quite dark because I like dark things. Especially um, when you're depressed. It's, some people don't understand that. They don't know that that, that can be oddly comforting or, or, or that it's oddly comforting when you're in that place. Yeah. Like, and I listen to a lot of dark stuff oh. and watch a lot of dark stuff. But I, got, I got giddy one time when I saw that there was a documentary by Joy Division when I was oh God. depressed. And I was <laughs> like, oh, this will feel like a blanket. Yeah. It's like, yay, someone else is more messed up yes. than me. So go ahead. And so basically they all eventually come home. I just wanted to stay there and I was kind of just annoyed that they were there that they were ruining this thing for me even though it was all of our holiday 
and uh, so my parents were there my sister and her husband were there and then I was there and so we all had dinner and we drank lots and I just remember I had Hennessy at some point like there was beer wine Hennessy we were playing board games it was great and next thing I remember this is where I go slightly psychotic at least this is what I call a psychotic break because I don't remember the different parts and I it felt like I was outside of my body at points so I remember that I was sitting in the owner's cabin of like there was the people who owned our cabin like up Mm -hmm. and a bit and I was sitting with them with a beer in my hand just talking to them about their son who was in law school seen missing then I was down by the river barefoot my feet were cut up I was like because of all the rocks and everything and I was just I saw a video of Snapchat that I had done which was just me going I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry then I remember looking in the mirror and the person in the mirror was cutting circles around my biceps and I was like that's a bit weird and then putting on a hoodie and going out and cutting uh, the, this line down my arms mm-hmm. and this one uh, so that's why I have a tattoo here I've got a big uh, forearm tattoo um, so I'd cut a big line around there and a big line around there and then I went down there and I went all like along my arms and just all along there and I'd cut really deep in there because I was like that's how I'm going to get to the artery because it just wasn't making any sense here mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like really going for it and I was just like I was underneath the cabin at this point and my dad yelled where are you and I came up and uh, I I I was wearing a hoodie. I don't even know where I got the hoodie. And I looked at my arm and it was just red. Like the whole hoodie was just bled through. And I was just like, whoa. And then I ran into the bathroom and my mom was like, what are you doing? And I was just like, I'm just going to the bathroom. And I slammed the door and then I looked at the bathroom floor and there was just blood all over the floor. My parents had obviously seen that. I ran into my sister and like, who was asleep and barricaded myself against the door. And I was just holding my arm going, I need to stop this. I need to stop this. And my sister like just looked at me and she was like, what did you do? And I was just like, I, I don't, I don't. And then my mom came in and she was so angry and just screaming and like cursing at me and just like throwing things. And I was just like, oh, and I like ran into the shower and I was just in the shower, just like holding the curtain and just wanting to disappear and not understanding what had happened. And then my sister came in and she threw up everywhere because she'd been so traumatized with what she had seen. And then... That is a nice bonding sister moment, though. Yeah, it, it? kind of made me laugh. Cause yeah. my, my mom was like, look what you've made, circuit yes. or Kira, do you know? Um, she's vomiting in the corner. Um, which I kind of giggled at at the time because I was like whacked off my mm. face on my various medications and large amounts of alcohol um and then my mom asked me did i had i written a note which i hadn't remember i had i had it was on my phone um and then my mom uh please, said she please wanted, tell me your note didn't have emojis <laughs> no <laughs> thank god i never use emojis i just don't understand them. the suicide emojis are so hard to find you have to scroll it's just so little, far to the right the yellow yellow face with the x eyes it's, it's fine um yeah so uh yeah it was just a lot of apologizing in that letter and my mom had read it and then she deleted it because she didn't want me having it Did and you? then Go ahead. Uh, then my sister had an emergency kit in her car, so 
she came down and because it was in the middle of the night as well the day before uh, Easter Sunday uh, kind of ruined Easter and uh, so my sister bandaged me up and put a pressure dressing on it and stuff because there was no way we were going to get to a hospital um, and she kind of assessed it and was like oh well they're not like one of them is quite deep but we're not mm. going to be too bad if we keep the pressure dressing on them so my mum just helped me like I just was felt I had no feeling like it was the numbest I've ever been and I and sorry and are you getting emotional no I just um uh, I thought I heard a burp um so I yeah it was just really numb and my mum helped me take off my clothes and just put me in a nightgown which was hers and she just lay in bed and I think it was the first time that she'd ever said thank you for some of the things I'd done when I was a teenager. She was just like rubbing my hair. It's the first time I felt like like a kid, like even though I was 27. And she was just running her hands through my hair and just going, thank you so much for taking care of me. I should have taken care of you better. All of that. And I just didn't sleep. And she didn't sleep either. She just kept running her hands through my hair. And then I wasn't allowed by myself at all. Like, nobody would leave me alone. And my parents brought me to the doctors. Thank God we had health insurance. So we went to the A&E in... Oh, that place. Um, it's where Twilight mm-hmm. is. Uh, Red Fork? or Not Red Fork. Oh, I can't remember the name. It's the town in Twilight, which I always thought was very strange. Let's come back there in, in, in a second, because I just want to talk some more about that moment with your my mom. With your mom. I mean, that's such a heartbreaking but beautiful moment yeah. where your mom finally sees your pain. Yeah, she did. I just, I hated, I felt so horrible that I, why couldn't I verbalize it to her? Why couldn't I? But you had been your whole life. I want to see a therapist. Why wasn't that good enough? Like, why did it, it have to come to the point where... I attacked myself. It feels like someone else attacked me, but like it was me, and that's what woke her up. Yeah, but it's like she's gone back to sleep again. What is as you hear yourself say that? What if you can feel them through the numbness? Are there any feelings that come up when you say that your mom is now back to sleep after having that kind of? beautiful like, moment where you it felt makes like me kind of um lament it like lament that time that what probably four hours that we had where she saw what was going on acknowledged that I had done quite a lot when I was a kid and that I shouldn't have had to do and didn't ever question it and that she maybe was too hard on us at times um so yeah i guess and then her just not you know she was angry at me for quite a while for doing what i had done which is understandable i think but also seems to be the go-to emotion you know if if you're not happy then you're angry yeah um so, 
yeah, like they they went to America recently and they didn't even ask me to go along. Um, which in fairness, like, and I remember my dad turning to me like the next morning, he goes, well, you cut that holiday to an end, didn't you? And literally all of us just laughing, even though like I was in bits crying, almost like very slightly, like on the verge of being catatonic. I'm getting stitches. We want to bring you, but none of the national parks have psych wards. Exactly, yeah. Uh, And when you remember the feeling you had when your mom was stroking your hair, if you can, think of as many adjectives to describe what it felt like. Um, Tranquil, uh, cathartic. Tainted. It was tainted because I'd messed up. I ruined it. I'd like. I'd love a, a, to have to a not moment. have to do that. Yeah, like a moment like that, and not have it be because of such a horrible situation. Um, but it was warm and it was caring and it was. It's like being wrapped in cotton wool again, or at all. Um, yeah, no, it was just, it was nice, even though it wasn't. Have you ever thought about talking to your mom about that moment and how it's you're like shaking, the, shaking your head no? No, yeah, sorry. It's like the, the Russians don't, men- not the Russians, the Germans don't mention the war, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, it's, it's not talked about the closest to... Uh, because it was be- a part of something that was so... Uh, Otherwise, yeah, and also Ireland, like we don't do mental health talk. We don't do, you know, my family is going to a counselor. I remember, like after it happened, um, my mom was like, "Oh well, we're going to have to buy you loads of things, long sleeves now, like because what will the neighbors think? What'll your work people think?" Like two days after I had done that, I was back working. Wow. Yeah, with like my stitches and everything, just like back to work and um like you just get up and go it's not uh it's not talked about um if you didn't die it's definitely not talked about if you did die it was probably an accident um yeah it's just it's not you know what will the neighbors think yeah 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 so uh i had paused to ask you a few questions about the moment with your mom and now back to um, wherever we were. I think you picked up by saying that you went, your mom got you long sleeves and you went back to work. And Yeah, so I see the job that I was in as well. Like that was, I think that was a big factor as well as <laughs> like everything else. I was having panic attacks daily in that job. Um, I was just emotionally degraded by my boss like everybody talked down to me I was screamed at um, I was hardly getting paid anything and then it was long work hours and I had a relationship that was completely failing as well like horribly failing he dumped me on Facebook after two years um, so not so delightful um, so basically going back to that and this was how long ago? Uh, this is Monday yeah <laughs> uh, two years now two years in March and you're 29? I'm 29. So you were 27 then. Yeah. 
So I was always like, damn it, I didn't join the 27 Club. You know, the 27 yeah, Club? Yeah, Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin, Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain, yep. yeah. We had actually gone through Kurt Bo- Cobain's uh, hometown the day before. Yeah. It's good times. That's a really dingy town. Um, Aberdeen. Aberdeen, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I did that. And basically, I begged my family not to put me into a facility. facility. Uh, because I was like, I'm going to lose my job. If I lose my job, then I lose my house, like, you know, where I'm renting. Mm. I'll lose my life and I'll have to live in Wicklow where I will kill my parents or they'll kill me. One of us will just destroy the other. And that was just not going to be a thing. Um, And I'd have to rebuild everything that I had built so far. And they agreed as long as I went to, I got a counselor. I went to a support group um, and I went on medication. And the so, support group was focusing on uh, people depression. who su- survived suicide attempts? Or? No, it was... Uh, so we don't have much of that kind of thing. Um, so it was an AWARE. It's called AWARE. They're the the facility that do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a mental illness support group. So mm-hmm. there was everybody from people with bipolar, uh, one and two, to schizophrenia, to um, what should we call it? Uh, borderline personality, and then general depression, and mm-hmm. all of that. And talking about, they didn't, you couldn't name the medications you were on, but how you were working through that, and and people that had gone to facilities, and how they felt that it had worked for them, and how they were doing in that day. Like there was a guy that came all the way from Galway to go to it because he liked that specific group. It did work for me for quite a while. I'd also quit alcohol at that point mm-hmm. um, because, the, well, after know, trying to kill I think yourself. it was working for you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what What did you like about the group? Um, you, especially I, if you can think of any moments where um, you've felt or, you know, something or a light bulb turned on or... Uh, it was just the first time that I could speak openly about how I was feeling and how difficult... I was having it and without feeling like I was going, oh, woe is me, I'm having such a hard time. Um, Everybody was like, oh, yeah, no, I've been there. Or, you know, that's where I heard about the CBD. Um, And like, you know, different types of therapy and then people just being really um, empathetic. Is empathetic the right word? Yeah, not sympathetic. That's a bad one. Uh, Empathetic about how you were feeling and what you were going through and then just... You know, you always you said what was going on with you, and then people could give you feedback and or um, how they perceived what you were saying. Mm-hmm. So you could even get that global vision of yourself. You know, the, you might be coming across oh, like an so asshole. Oh, so this was DBT, dialectical behavior therapy. Oh, is that, no, this is just a support group. This is oh, just what uh, okay. people would just you'd say. Oh, and okay, because that's part. Back. That's a, that a, a part of, of DBT is ah. what I understand. What I hear you're saying is this and I understand, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Ah. So you're kind of validating, letting that person know that you, they exist yeah. and, and you are hearing them. Oh, okay. Cause that, yes. yeah, I had, they had been mentioned, they did mention it in the group, yes. but when I said it to my doctor, they had no idea what that was. In fact, when I asked to be on certain medications, um, <laughs> like I said, okay, I need to be on a antidepressant, but I can't be on this one. And I can't be on this one. They did not work. And she took out a book. I was like, what about this one? I was like, you're a doctor. Was she a psychiatrist? No, she was just a doctor. Just an MD. Yeah. Was there, was the there a reason? The psychiatrist didn't give me any 
help with that either. Why? Because he was an idiot. He was literally the worst experience with him ever. And he seemed like so bored by all of wow. it. And just, and I spent maybe about a thousand euro going to see him over the time that I did and then just went I'm not doing this and literally all hell broke loose with my family because they were like no you need the help and I was like but you don't understand it's not helping in fact it's putting me under financial strain now so yeah then I found somebody else and he was actually really good but uh, and I was did seeing, you find the right meds yeah it's a, it's definitely the right meds if I'm not drinking <laughs> <laughs> Like, I, no bed is the right med if you're drinking. I, I was just going to say, <laughs> I, I did that dance for a number of years, and boys at an uphill oh, losing battle. It's the worst. Like I, like, I definitely know that I have a problem with alcohol. I do. Um, but it's just so delicious. No, I just, I find it very difficult to stay away from it because I am, I used to be a very social person. That dwindled and I've become more introverted than I was. But alcohol helps with me being able to see the people I want to see. And mm-hmm. especially when, like, everything you do here. It's like, oh, do you want to go with me for some chats? Yeah, where will we get pints? It's like, like the lads had to leave the house, or my housemates had to leave the house to let us record in here. They've gone to the pub. Like, there's nothing else to do like that's all people do and that's where i found the we went to a tea garden before we started recording here really and cool that's place. where i found that yes. yes because i was just like it's i need somewhere to go at night time a place to relax with, yeah. without getting drunk and for a lot of people they don't have a problem with with alcohol but for those of us who do it can be a struggle sometimes to find social settings where we can relax without having to Uh, self-medicate yeah exactly and just yeah just finding like because obviously i'm I'm in the early stages of trying to not drink and so i'm what 16 days i think i said Mm -hmm. i have a timer on my phone um it's very difficult at the start i find so the the thing that is popping into my mind right now is what kind of tools could you develop to cope with the feelings that used to make you and currently make drinking seem uh, like the best choice? Yeah, so that is definitely something that I'm trying to figure out at the moment. Like I've done, as I said, a lot of counseling. I've done the therapy. I've listened to your podcast. That was the next thing after I tried to kill myself. I found your uh, podcast and it was literally like, I need to listen to this because maybe I'll find something in it. Um, I found some other ones as well, but oh, um, sex and other uni- human activities. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of it? I have not. Uh, it's basically just two people. One of them has bipolar, and the other one uh, just has anxiety, and yeah. they just talk. But there's a whole community online with it as well. So oh, like nice. I, yeah, so I, but they haven't posted a, a thing in a while. But it, basically, people moaning, but it's really cathartic to read, and you can, they're also really supportive people. So I do that, but. Um, what yeah, about- so I don't have um, I I've stopped drinking, but I don't have emotions, so it's really hard to figure out what you're feeling when you don't have emotions. So that's what I'm waiting to happen. I'm waiting for mm-hmm. the alcohol to completely leave my system, yes. and then some sort of emotion I'm sure will appear. Yeah, I 
my boyfriend does find it very difficult with me because I'll I won't seem I don't think that I'm depressed as in like I won't seem sad but there'll be little things that he'll notice and he's like what what happened today what's going on I'm just like I don't know like and it's really difficult on him trying to help me when I legitimately have no idea how I'm feeling isn't that fucked yeah it's really annoying it's really it's exhausting I, I would hate those moments in and still can in therapy where I don't know what I'm feeling yeah and I don't know how to put it into words and I'm afraid that I'm going to do it wrong yeah it's just like it, I just want to sleep in those moments yeah you know that's like the constant want is sleep just I love sleeping yes um, it's, it's, it's almost like the only thing I can say in those moments is I don't know I just know I don't want this yeah exactly it's like everything's gray and I don't want it to be gray anymore I would like some yellow please yes and yellow I have no please. idea where yellow is or how to get it or if I can even afford it. But exactly. I see other people with yellow, and it seems to be working for them, and I'm tired. Yes. I, I do find that as well, that I am very tired all of the time. And I, I've i started thinking that... See, I would always say that like I'm, I'm very logical, but then I have a horrible illogical side to me that it's just like, you know, everything is actually going well. You're able to afford your rent. You have a good job. Everything's fine. Mm -hmm. But then the illogical part of me is going, yes, but everybody hates you. You're going to lose that job very quickly. You don't actually have enough money. You don't have savings. What's going on? How are you supposed to afford a house? Do you actually want to have kids? What's going on? What is life? And I'm fighting with that every day. And That's what I'm having trouble with. If you are open to my point of view mm -hmm. on that, the pattern of thinking that you just described is the pattern of thinking of most alcoholics and addicts. And yeah. the support group is people sharing about those feelings and exchanging tools and ways to cope with those feelings so that we don't have to self-medicate ourselves and that we can feel a part of something it's it kind of at least for me that's become my pub yeah and i look forward to going to there because i when i leave i'm relaxed but i'm not going to get in a car accident yeah <laughs> and, and that's why that's why i'm such a big proponent of of support groups yeah. and um i hope I, I i i'm not coming across as as bossy or lecturing but i think this is a great time and your life slash recovery for you to um explore some new avenues of um i'm not saying ditch your old friends but to find some new friends who know what you're feeling who also don't want to get loaded yeah like definitely and it, it's definitely something that i've been looking into doing going Good. to aa um, just to find that support like yeah. i i do have loads of people around me who would support me if I was comfortable with telling them what was going on mm -hmm. but I am not uh, because it's such a taboo still um, alcoholism in, yeah, in alcoholism, Ireland or depression uh, you know that like I'm um, sorry the scars uh, yeah the scars yeah like just it's it's all just it's kind of too much like if somebody like 
I always have a story about how my arm happened. Like before I had the tattoo, Mm -hmm. which is slightly covering it now. It's in progress. It'll be better. Um, But I always, I had a story, a non, you know, self-harmy story. Mm -hmm. that people would just go, I found when I was quite young, that people will just accept what they want to hear Mm -hmm. about these things. And that's all. You can give them the weirdest story ever. I remember one time I was 14, no, 16, and I had smashed a mirror at a retreat and just because I was so desperate to self-harm and I had done some little scratches on my arm, I was like, they're not mm-hmm. going to mark, no one's going to notice them, I've got a long top, we're fine. Um, and somebody just like grabbed me and I just went, ugh, like, because it hurt, like I had just done it. And she was like, what's going on? And then she like lifted up my sleeve and she went, what happened? And I was like, oh, I reached through some brambles. And she was like, goddamn brambles. <laughs> and I was just like, well, that was easy. <laughs> so like, uh, people don't want to hear. Yes. The bad things. You know, it it kind of strikes me that there, and this is going to be oversimplified, but there, there are two ways that we can go through life. We can go through it trying to shrink our truths to make them palatable for people, or we can find a new group of people who we are not too much for. Yeah. And the latter has saved my life. And not only that, but it's given me um, the feelings and the peace that I thought was only for other people. And I have the feeling that that is there for you because, you know, I've spent a few hours with you. Um, You're not too much. You're a lovely person to uh, hang out with. Thank you. You're very kind. I I, I just think maybe more worry that all my past stuff if somebody was to delve slightly into it it kind of emerges into this big cesspit that is just like uh, like I don't know how to if if your support groups are anything like mine you have nothing to worry about (laughs) okay you have nothing to worry about okay we we roll in there thinking with this shit that we were going to take to our grave and we're like oh man (laughs) that that is nothing compared to some of the things that that we hear yeah in, in, in support groups but um thank you for sharing uh all of that stuff and thank you for contacting me and and showing me around dublin and um is there anything else you you, you want to? Well, uh, thanks so much for coming, and you know, sorry the recording in your hotel room didn't work out, but thanks for coming all the way out here. You got to meet your boyfriend and his his uh, bandmates. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And maybe uh, I'll get to hear some uh, death metal before uh, before I leave. <laughs> we'll see if they come back walking. Okay. So <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, no, thank you so much, and it's been really lovely meeting you after hearing your voice voice for all these years. It's been uh, absolutely mental, but you're lovely. Thank you. Grub Exactly. Did I do that well? <laughs> you did. <laughs> My Gaelic isn't horrible. Uh, many thanks to, to Caitlin. Uh, and an update on her, she is still sober, still hating herself, but it is a, uh, a long process. And um, fuck, I've been sober 15 years and I still struggle with self-hatred. But let's not go down that rabbit that rabbit hole right now. Um, there are a variety of ways that you can support the podcast if you uh, so choose. 
you can do it financially or non-financially. Some ways are really, really simple. Um, but there's a big list of them under the show notes for every uh, episode, or at least starting like uh, six months ago, I think I started putting those there. So if you dig the show and you want to try to give something back, whether it's financial or not, please uh, consider that. And one off the top of my head is subscribe to the show because then the show gets more downloads and you'll be reminded. Maybe there you'll hear an awesome episode that would have slipped through the cracks if you weren't subscribing. All right, let's get to some some surveys. Um, I mentioned how uh, I've mentioned before how themes kind of appear in the surveys that uh, I read on any given week, and procrastinating and to do lists seem to be uh, one of the one of the things that popped up in a couple of couple of surveys. Um, not this one. This one is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself too many guinea pigs. And she writes, I went back to the place where my abusive husband took my virginity by mostly force and had sex with my supportive, loving boyfriend. It felt like a huge fuck you to my abuser and I loved it. Don't worry, my boyfriend was aware and consented to it. Thank you for that. This is an email that I got from... um a guy I met named uh, David, and he wrote, uh, I was just listening to your Ireland episode, and in it you say, to me, success in life is being able to find the sublimely beautiful and the awful or the mundane. Right now, my young daughter is battling cancer. She, my wife, and I are currently away from home for chemo. I can tell you firsthand that finding the sublimely beautiful and the awful and the mundane is what keeps me going despite all the difficulties. It fills my family's days with love and laughter. Also, I just wanted to say thank you. Thanks to your podcast, which has led me back to therapy and meditation, I'm regularly looking for the sublimely beautiful and often finding it. And that includes looking for the good in people while keeping key boundaries. Finally, the other crucial element for me is using fewer words to say more. I think most people consider the most important phrases in human relationships to be, I love you, I'm sorry, and thank you. I want to put in a plug for, ouch. It conveys that you are hurting without blaming the other person and allows him or her to come to you and say sorry without feeling attacked. After much experimentation and plenty of failure in the past and no doubt in the future, I found this to be my personal path to joy and peace. Thank you so much for your crucial part in it. Much love to you, Paul. David. And then he fucks it up by saying, oh, and this kind of goes without saying, but there is nothing more sublimely beautiful than a frosted Pop-Tart. There's nothing more grotesque and unnecessary than putting frosting on a perfectly beautiful toaster pastry. I had one last night. Unfrosted blueberries sent by a kind listener. We can't get them here on the West Coast. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Hummingbird. He is uh, 19. He uh, is unsure of uh, his sexual preference. He was raised in a moderately dysfunctional environment. Uh, Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. 
I vaguely have some memories of making out with an older female cousin of mine, though I'm not sure if it was a dream or I manufactured it. Uh, he's been physically and emotionally abused. I used to have an old girlfriend when I was younger. She would hit me if I ever did anything wrong. Any positive experiences with people who abused you? I used to be madly in love with her. I felt as if I could tell her anything and she would never judge me. Uh, darkest thoughts. I think about killing myself after giving my virginity to the person I love. Uh, darkest secrets. I masturbate to rather, quote, distasteful but not illegal porn. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be all porn? I mean, isn't that the purpose of porn? You know, they all might have different website names, but it's all, you know, essentially what it is 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 it's a place that you are going and gambling that you're going to get off without your computer getting a virus. I think they should, they should get creative with the names of porn sites. You think you hate yourself now? Intimacy killer. A eulogy for your marriage. I can't think of any more. I do have to say, and I don't want to sound like an old fucker, but pornography has changed since I was a teenager. Well, for one, they're not taking it with Civil War cameras anymore. <laughs> it's uh, honestly like the things that were quote-unquote, dirty and graphic to me now could be somebody's profile picture on a website. I'm not saying on, like, Facebook or something like that, but um, I don't know. It's interesting. Anyway, continuing. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Uh, Intentionally breeding my partner. I feel that that makes me nervous, strange seeing it in writing. I wonder what he means, though, by intentionally breeding, meaning him getting her or uh, him getting her pregnant or him pairing her with someone else and that person getting her pregnant or cloning her and having a three-way. If there is a really mediocre porn producer, actually, are there any other kind, uh, take that idea and run with it. That... uh, (laughs) A really narcissistic person clones themselves so that they can watch themselves in the three-way and they can suck their own dick. I like how I made it a guy. Um, What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I don't really have anything like that. What, if anything, do you wish for? To not be in the cliché tortured artist to not be the cliche tortured artist my counselor says I am. If your counselor put it that bluntly, you have a shitty counselor. But if you are turning your counselor saying that you have demons and it feeds your art, I think that's okay. But if your counselor is calling you a cliche of a tortured artist, I would find another another counselor. Um... Have you shared these things with others? No, I don't tend to tell other people other than my counselor about my inner turmoil. Uh, How do you feel after writing these things down? I don't feel light. I feel heavier with anxiety that someone I know might magically read this and use it against me. 
That, to me, is like how fear of intimacy, um, one of the ways it presents itself, because uh, I relate to that. I relate to that. And I have to say, um, as as I have been in my support groups and all that other stuff and therapy and developed close relationships with trusted people, um, that feeling gets less and less. Um, is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Uh, coming from me, it would be very depressing or at the very least, sarcastically humorous. Thank you for sharing that. This is a happy moment filled out by Everything is Almost Fine. And she writes, I've been in a fairly deep depressive episode for the last few months. Yesterday, I had enough energy to do laundry, namely wash my sheets and wrestle my comforter back into a duvet cover. Today, I'm back in bed, but instead of beating myself up about how this illness makes me feel lazy and worthless, I'm in clean sheets, and I can be proud of the little step I made yesterday. Sometimes happy moments are the tiniest things that help the storm start to pass. Could not agree more. And um, I feel the same way. Sometimes that's the only thing I did, and when I lay down at night just smelling the fabric softener and just a little hint of bleach and then the lasagna on my <laughs> my pillow. I wanted to say pillow, but I said potato. Started to say potato. It is a little late here. It is 11.15 at night and I should probably have waited to uh, record this tomorrow morning, but my schedule's been a little nutty lately. Uh, this is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Zuzu. And she's straight in her 30s, was raised, hold on, let's find out if she was raised in a perfectly safe environment. No, a pretty dysfunctional environment. Uh, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Uh, she writes some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Lots of covert incestuous behavior from both of my parents. It hurts to think about. When they looked Inside, they saw my rotten core. I feel like that is the only thing that makes sense about all the fucked up weird inappropriateness and why they must have hated me so much. Perhaps when they looked inside of me, they saw their own rotten core and felt scared of me, so needed to exploit and shut me up. Um... She's been emotionally and physically abused. Uh, never physically hurt beyond the random slap or push. Um, that's still physical abuse. Although I would have rather been spanked every day than have them stare into my vagina and mouth for what felt like hours and then talk about it for more hours. I fucking feel like I'm perpetually perpetually spread eagle even as I walk down the street it feels as though strangers can see inside of me I always feel like I am being watched and judged that I am nasty dirty bad vile and just wrong I almost wish I could find some horrible secret about what I come from for it to all make sense I want to be the brother and sister I want thee to be brother and sister. Oh, I want them to be brother and sister, and that would make more sense to me is why they were so icky with me. That um, invasion of your body, because um, I assume that you mean they were literally 
um, examining you uh, in a way that was violating. And uh, that is way more than some stuff happened and I don't know if it counts. That's like Child Protective Services would remove you from the home. Um, any positive experiences with the abusers? Yes, they taught me many things. They were both products of bad abuse, yet it complicates things because I feel sorry for their inner child, but I just can't have more compassion for them than is healthy for me. That That's one of the reasons why I wanted to read that is what that last sentence that you said, because that to me is where healing begins, is where we put aside whatever the reasons were that they did it. And we feel that pain that we have tried to ignore. And we mourn the innocence that was lost and let the anger come up. Let the sadness come up. Cry, you know, um, scream. Uh, hopefully, you know, not in line at the grocery store, but if it has to be, so be it. Because until I could do those things, I couldn't feel any sort of closure with the things that happened to me. And I don't know if it ever, if there's ever total closure, because there's always going to be scars and things left in the wake of it, but where it doesn't own you, you know, processing it can get to a place where you feel like it doesn't own you. Um, darkest thoughts. I am ashamed to admit that I don't think I, be I believe in anything. I just feel like life is so unfair to so many. There is no rhyme or reason. If there is a spiritual dimension, then that is one of the more protective for, that is one more protective force for me to hate. I hate both of my parents. I still see and talk to them a few times per year, but I do hate them both. I hope through healing I can stop and just turn my angry hate towards more compassion for myself without also becoming narcissistic. I also th I think about terrible abuse all the time. I am never the abuser, but I think about bad, horrible things happening to kids and sometimes adults. I don't want these things to happen, but I think I rethink about it again and again to try and desensitize myself from any more shock. Darkest secrets. I don't know anymore. I just feel like a dark pervert deep down. I was born a flower and they poured poison all over me so many times. I have now grown all crooked and I may, I may still look like a flower, but if you get too close, you will see I have thick prickly fur on my leaves and my nectar smells like rotten death. Wow, that is heavy. And... Not surprisingly, given how fucked up the things are that happened to you. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Being raped, degraded, having a train run on me. I want to feel physical pain to match how I feel inside. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I hate you. I hope you suffer. I feel sorry for you. What, if anything, do you wish for? Peace of mind presence in the world naturally and to not feel guilty for hating my abusers or feeling like I have to fix and forgive them. You know, and that to me is part of the grooming process is that we, we are groomed 
to not want to hate them, coupled with the fact that there's something genetically in us that was elemental to our survival as, as you know, as people to want to stay with the herd despite terrible circumstances. And I'm just going to take a wild guess that that you're the manipulation of your emotions by your parents went on outside of sexual events. And that's, to me, one of the biggest mind fucks is because it's this back and forth war in our head of, am I making too big of a deal of it? Am I not healing fast enough? Am I healing the wrong way? Uh, am I throwing them under the bus? Uh, blah, 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 blah. And that's, that's the cacophony that so many of us just have bouncing around in our skulls for years after we begin to address how fucked up the things were that happened to us. So you are not alone in, in feeling that. That is so common for someone who has experienced something like you have. Have you shared these things with others? Yes. The details were too much for many friends or others. Only my therapist seems to be okay with it. But I do feel as though I am weighing them down. Some people are not going to be able to handle that. You know, some people's emotional conversation threshold is very, very light. Um, but there are a lot of people who can handle that because they understand. How do you feel after writing these things down? A little lighter. Getting it out makes the anxiety better. Oh God, I need to go take a clonopin now. My mind has found a new fear to obsess over for the minute or day. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? You aren't bad. You didn't do anything wrong. You were a kid. Life may be unfair, but that doesn't mean it's okay for someone to hurt someone else, let alone their kids. Any comments to make the podcast better? I want to hear more covert incest stories with specific instances and situations. Not to trigger or be sensational, but for me, the little things they did were so innocuous I didn't realize they were abuse. It has helped me to hear each and every story on this show about about how parents are inappropriate. Um, thank you. That is good to hear because I oftentimes... If somebody opens up to me, I want to know more about what it was that they experienced because A, I want to feel less alone, um, B, I'm curious, and C, I want to speak out about this because it is it's rampant and it doesn't get talked about, especially when the abuser is the mother. And um, your, your, as painful as your survey was to read, it, it helped me feel less alone. And uh, I can put you in touch with a support group uh, if, you, if you contact me. 
uh, anybody who has ever experienced covert incest by a female caregiver. Um, that uh, And that's not to minimize those who have been experienced covert incest by a male caregiver. It's just this group, the focus is on is on that because that tends to be much, much more under the radar and mothers tend to, uh, when they do that, uh, they do exploit a child covertly. They tend to um, camouflage it in access to their children's bodies and disguise it in ways the children don't realize is inappropriate, but something in their spidey sense tells them this doesn't feel right. This feels weird. I feel like I'm being tricked. And that essentially is the story of a lot of stuff that happened to me um, in my childhood with with my mom. Um, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by Hespa. And she writes, Last weekend... I was in the car traveling to the Yorkshire Dales. It suddenly clicked with me. I had planned my suicide early that year after a family holiday. It was supposed to happen last month. I was going to give my family the best memories I could and then leave. I thought to myself, holy shit, I'm alive. See, sometimes procrastination can be a good thing. I'm glad you're still here. Glad you're still here. And then finally, this is a happy moment filled out by a guy who calls himself Chadwick Rolland. And uh, he writes, This is a weird one. I've been away from the podcast for a while. I've had a really hard summer between life and therapy. My whole core has been rattled in some very challenging ways. I decided to get back to the things that I know give me perspective, and this show has been one at times, so it's back in my queue. I'm listening to the Social Anxiety with Dr. Ellen Hendrickson episode and the Shame and Secret survey from the, quote, genius procrastinator uh, was like a mirror of my life. Though I'm not an Ivy League fancy pants scientist, I was the high-level jock who played the part to survive because being the nerd never suited my look. There were all these expectations put on what I should be rather than what I wanted to be, and over time, I've tried to fit that box when I really love space and writing and nature, simply complex things with endless possibilities. Yet when you're black, 6'3", 220 pounds with fast-twitch muscle, the world expects certain things, and you're put into a box. She wrote things that have always been in my own head, she wrote my days, my feelings, my lost sense of self as I'm getting to a point where I must face some realities of who I am, what life is, and how to process that and find some semblance of enjoyment as there's nothing left to achieve on my list. I have no point B anymore. I had these goals and aspirations, hopes and dreams that would make me happy, but I bought a house, I got a nice car, I keep dating interesting and beautiful women, and yet still feel like there's nothing in this world for me or what I even want from this life. But as I listened, I couldn't help but start smiling, feeling comforted. So my happy moment is listening to a stranger whose name I will never know explain word by word that I'm not alone and that there is at least one other person who's just like me, making my world seem a little less gray today, I guess. 
in my own fucked-up codependent way, LOL. So to the genius procrastinator, that was the pseudonym they used when they filled out the survey, who might be listening to this, if it gets read, hi, I'm the underachieving procrastinator, and for what it's worth, just anonymously sharing who you really are made my day a little easier to deal with, as I'm not dealing with this nonsense alone today, and thank you for sharing. Love it. Love it. You know, as I say often, the people who fill out the surveys are as important as the guests on on this show. And um, I'm so grateful to those of you that take the surveys and pour pour your hearts out into them. And I wish there was enough airtime to read all of them, um, but I don't have the energy to to read all of them. And um, But thank you so much for, for that. And I hope to... Anybody who listened to today's episode that you you felt what he felt, which is a sense of belonging, uh, maybe a rekindling of hope, or just a change of attitude in a, in a better direction. Um, and just remember that you're not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up I know in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.